Okay, so welcome to the Soul on Fire podcast, where I interview super cool people in the fields of um, conscious lifestyle and art. Today I'm joined with Ermila Prabhu. She is a disciple of Srila Prabhupada, who is the founder of the Hare Krishna movement. She's been practicing bhakti yoga for um, probably five decades now, right? Pretty close. Right. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Come to Krishna consciousness. Uh, How long of an answer do you want? I have a 3000 word essay on my website (laughs) about the story. Let's hear the five minute version. The five minute version. Um, Well, from the time I was four, I decided that my goal in life was to find God. I wasn't really interested in career and family. Uh, When I was eight, I decided I believed in reincarnation. When I was nine, I put pictures of India all over my wall and got little dolls from a shop, you know, that were like wearing saris and dhotis. And I told my mother I wanted to wear a sari. When I was 12, my sister was already married and living in New York City. And when I would visit her, she lived on the Lower East Side, right near Shula Prabhupada's first temple on 26th Avenue, a block or two away. And when I was visit, I would regularly visit her. And one time, this was when I was 12, uh, I found this store called the Krishna Store, which was run by Alan Coleman, who had recorded what was called the Happening Album with Shula Prabhupada and the devotees chanting. And uh, he had a lot of clothes from India and posters from India, Vishnu, Krishna, and Hanuman. And he would also play this record because he was trying to sell it. So I would go into his store and listen to this recording of Srila Prabhupada chanting. Um, and then a couple years later, when I was 14, I heard on the radio the Radha Krishna Temple album that the devotees, the Hare Krishna devotees in London had produced with George Harrison what we play in our Hare Krishna temples every morning when the curtains open, when we greet the deities, the Brahma Samhita. And that was really what propelled me. I, I bought that record and there were pictures inside that I put on my wall. And one of, and those pictures were the same as what was on the cover of the Krishna book. Then one day in secondary school, in high school, one of the students who I, I knew by name, but I didn't really know him, was reading Krishna book and he was the same picture on the outside of the book. And I said, oh, I have that picture on my, my wall. It's from the record album. And I look at the books, I'm looking through the book. And then he said, would you like to come with me to the temple? I'm like, temple, what temple? I, I didn't realize there was a society. Um, so I went with him twice to the temple in New York. And that was, I, I didn't start practicing Krishna consciousness at that time, that's a whole story. But that was when I decided that I accepted, at least in theory, the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. When I was uh, 17, I ended up uh, really praying for guidance and finding Srila Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita on the floor of the roommate of the boyfriend of my friend. (laughs) And uh, I read the Bhagavad Gita and said, okay, this this is what I'm going to do. I ended up living in the ashram for a couple weeks, secretly, and uh, then when I finished that year at university, and when I finished that year and turned 18, 
then I went and moved into the ashram. That's the very short story. Wow, it sounds like you were you were born for this. Probably. <laughs> um, so what is Krishna consciousness um, or what is something that you feel that mm, actually a lot of my audience um, is are very young people um, young creative people what would be your message to someone who is like 16 growing up in this kind of corona era oh. Goodness, what a life, huh? Crazy. I'm just thinking, I have, you know, a granddaughter who just graduated and, uh, you know, to be graduating in this situation is just kind of wild. What would be my message is that look for truth, you know, like just being a, a materialistic person is not satisfying. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a very active person in, for social justice and changing the world, or whether you just want to be chill and meditate and grow organic food, <laughs> or, you know, whether you want to hang around with your friends and take drugs, whatever version of materialism, it's, it's not going to be satisfying. What's going to be satisfying is finding who you are and finding the reality behind the veil of illusion and then whatever else you do you know if you have a family if you have a career you have an education you get a house whatever will have meaning and without that nothing you have will have meaning so that would be my suggestion to anyone but to speak of when you're young you're better off when you're young easier when you're young mm. Well, you yourself, you know, started practicing Krishna consciousness when you were very young. What was that like? Do you feel like um, that's too big of a question? What was yes. that like? Do you feel like you missed out on 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 like material pleasures? No. I've never felt like that, but I was never very interested in them. So it wasn't, it wasn't on my list. Mm. What would you? It wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't something that I was, I mean, but I, you know, I, we eat nice food in the Hare Krishna movement. I have good friends in the Hare Krishna movement. We have lots of fresh flowers. I mean, that's, those are all materials. I don't have any material pleasures. Right. Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest bars for people practicing spiritual life is this. It's called FOMO, fear of missing out. Oh, but, you know, the only way you're not going to miss out is to stay in this world for a gazillion billion reincarnations. And so then you can try everything. Right. You know, because there's always an opportunity cost. Mm. Like here, I'm talking to you and I'm not reading a book. Right. Or I'm not hanging out with my other friends or, you know, there's, I'm always 
sacrificing something to do something else. I can't possibly be doing everything simultaneously. And therefore we take all these lives to try all these different things. You know, I think I'll try life as a man, I'll try life as a woman, I'll try life as an elephant, I'll try life as, a, as someone from China, as somebody from Namibia, you know, uh, on another planet. We have descriptions of other life forms on other planets, we can try that. And whatever we're doing at any given moment, we're always missing on something. I mean, it's it, sometimes we can live our whole life like that, that everything we're doing, we're thinking that we ought to be doing something else. You know, that whatever we're doing, we never really truly enjoy it because we're always thinking of our opportunity costs. Oh, I wish I was doing this instead, or I wish I was doing this instead. Now, if we attain to spiritual happiness, we're completely satisfied. And it's a dynamic kind of satisfaction. It's not just static, it's not just, I am satisfied. But it, it's this very dynamic thing. And then we feel that we are actually experiencing that all of the possible material experiences that we could have we're already getting anything that we would get from them. Mm. You know, you might want to climb a mountain because it's adventurous, but Krishna says he's adventure. So everything is like that. It's it just like if you talk about money, you know, why do we want money? Most people want money. We want money for freedom. You know, if I have enough money, then I can go where I want, I can do what I want. Of course, in a pandemic, that doesn't work very well. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how much money you have, you can't go anywhere. Uh, but but that that idea, you know, or if I have money, then I'll be able to have pleasures, you know, good food and, and attractive clothing and so forth. But let's say you have all of those things. I'll have a sense of security. Let's say you have freedom and security and pleasures. Do you then need money? No. Right. If you have all of the things that money would give you, you don't need money also. So if you have spiritual satisfaction, you don't need all these material experiences, which are all vastly inferior because material experiences only touch the, the external covering they only touch the body and the mind they never touch the person the person is just the observer you know anyone who's into meditation a lot of what people do in meditation is focus on the fact that they're the observer that they're just watching the thoughts and feelings and experiences move through them and this is something krishna emphasizes in the bhagavad-gita that we're not really doing things in this world so if I'm just the observer, then the experiences happening to this body and this mind are not really happening to me. It's like I'm watching a film or I'm, I'm reading a book or I'm playing a video game where I may appear to be saving the world and, you know, getting the beautiful romantic partner and whatever is happening in what I'm watching, but it's not really happening to me and all material experiences like that, which is why you can get a lot of success materially and have all this cool, amazing life and still be unhappy. 
Mm. And still say, is that all there is? And if we don't believe that, then we just have to look at the news headlines for a few days and we'll see that, you know, every day there's stories of people who are, you know, stunningly gorgeous, extraordinarily intelligent, very famous, very wealthy, very influential, very powerful, very accomplished in their careers, who are addicted to drugs or alcohol, or who get involved in violence, or who commit suicide. So, and it, it's not just a half of a percent, you know, it's a lot of successful people right. happy. So if material success were really made one satisfied, we would expect that, you know, 90, 95% of materially successful people would be very happy. That That's not the case. Mm -hmm. So, when, and, and everybody knows that. This is not some kind of a secret. Mm -hmm. And we all know people who are materially not successful at all and who are astonishingly happy. So th there's not a correlation. Mm -hmm. So when you take up spiritual life, you don't feel that you lose anything. rather you feel that you gained everything. Mm. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned suicide, and I think this is really relevant. And I think a lot of people shy away from this topic out of fear, because it's, it's, you know, considered so sensitive. But I think it's also right. really important to, um, you know, spiritual people spiritualists have knowledge about the soul right mm -hmm. and the soul yes. is considered to be eternal it can't be killed it it can't be harmed i was just reading in the bhagavad-gita this morning that it, it can't be withered by the wind it doesn't feel cold um you know pain can't affect the soul so i'm really interested in what you would say about um, things like self-harm and suicide? Um, well, nobody wants to commit suicide. What people want is to be happy and they want their problems to be solved. So if you go up to someone who is about to attempt suicide and you would say, I, I could solve your problems and they had faith that you could solve their problems, so they would not commit suicide. Suicide is a, it comes from a sense of utter hopelessness that one's problems are absolutely insolvable, that, that there's there's absolutely no hope of one's problems being solved. So otherwise nobody wants to die. Now it's, it's very interesting that the Vedas teach that one who commits suicide has to be without a body for some time and then again take birth and again experience this very same test that led them to suicide in the first place. You know, if you, if you don't pass the test one time, then you have to try it another time. So it's, it's not a solution. But self-harm is a little interesting. Um, from what I understand, what happens is that we, we all have this experience that we'll have something that's bothering us and if something comes along and bothers us more then the initial thing that bothers us doesn't bother us anymore 
and often from what I've studied of it, a self-harm comes from, it's a way of distracting you from the pain and a way of feeling powerful by causing a greater, an initial greater pain. Mm. But the, the only cure for suicide is helping people to really, to have some hope, giving people hope that it's possible that their problems can be solved because uh, it, it comes from a sense of utter and complete hopelessness. Mm. That there's just that there's just no other way out. That, with, that the person cannot see even one shred of hope. That whatever they're facing is solvable. It's interesting you, you mentioned hopelessness because I happened upon a um, an audio um, reading or narration of Schopenhauer yesterday who speaks about pessimism that was his whole philosophy of life and I was thinking while I was listening to that this is all true but it's missing the positive um, solution it's it's yes. like he's talking about material the material world and everything he's saying is spot on you know yes so if if you if you see that clearly and if you also feel spirit if you either have spiritual ignorance or you feel spiritually helpless then it will lead to um to suicidal thoughts you know if, if you see illusion for what it is if you see the illusion of the world clearer and you you don't see the spiritual mm. So, yeah, um, what is the hope? What, what, what can Krishna consciousness offer to someone who is really feeling that hopelessness, which, as you say, is almost like the correct conclusion of material existence? It is the correct conclusion of material existence. Material existence is, if you're, if you're in material illusion, it is meaningless and hopeless. That's true. You know, we keep trying to be better people and we keep failing. We fail individually, we fail as a society. We keep trying to have perfect relationships and, and we keep failing. <laughs> you know, it, it's, we don't seem to be making progress because the whole thing is an illusion. The hope is that there is a place where one does make progress. There is a, there is a consciousness where it is it is dynamically always increasing in something valuable and everything is valuable in, in spiritual consciousness every movement is valuable every thought is valuable every feeling is valuable you don't have to do something big you don't have to do something noticeable you don't have to do something in the history books it's all valuable just the effort is valuable and there there is a way by which every aspect of life becomes filled with a kind of, of glow and practically speaking euphoria there there is such a way of, of living whereby life is completely transformed no matter what it looks like on the outside that the inner experience is transformed there really is that and how each person will approach and understand that hope is very individual. 
So what gives me spiritual hope might not be exactly the same for someone else at a particular point in time. But as a, as a general principle, the, the spiritual experience is, is always hopeful. So moving forward, if someone wants to experience this, this hope and this beautiful description or uh, like what you just said, what, what's your, what's the first step? What, what's some practical suggestion? Um, well, our, our automatic response as members of the Hare Krishna movement would be chant Hare Krishna. Meditate on the Hare Krishna mantra, engage in mantra meditation. However, everybody is an individual. So for some people, the first step may be to read the, the sacred writings, to read the books that were translated by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, uh, or, or of the many, many dozens and dozens of books that his followers have, have written the magazines that his followers put out. So it may be that, it may be learning how to cook vegetarian meals and offer them to the Lord. That may be the first step. The first step may be, um, if you're in a part of the world where you can do this right now, to go to a Hare Krishna center or maybe to join a Hare Krishna meeting virtually online. That may be the first step. The first step may be to just give some assistance to those people who are in spiritual consciousness and just make some friends who are involved in spiritual life. So that may be the first step. And if you're inclined to meditation, then I would certainly suggest that you learn to meditate with the Hare Krishna Mantra. It's, it's a very, very powerful form of meditation. But there's, although that's the most powerful of all the processes that we, that we do, there's many, many, many hundreds of different ways of approaching spirituality in our movement and in our line of, of teaching. So if you know, if you say, well, I'm not really into meditation, there's, there's so many other ways. You can learn how to use your career and your skills in such a way that it connects you with, with Krishna, in such a way that it connects you with the divine. So that's, that's also entirely possible and very doable for anybody. Anybody can take their their talents, their knowledge, their uh, their skills, and connect them to the service of the Lord. Beautiful. Thank you. So Speaking of talents, um, you're a very talented person, and you've just written, well, you've written a few books. What are you working on at the moment? Um, well, first of all, everybody's talented. My spiritual master said that Krishna has given everyone some extraordinary talent and to serve Krishna with one's talent means successful life. So everybody has some extraordinary talents. It's, and although each of us have talents that are in broad categories, each of us tend to have some unique combination of talents that we can really offer to them. So what am I working on at present? Um, well, I'm working on a book with a co-author uh, Rukmini, uh, her legal name is Dr. Jiradatta, and the working title of the book is Career Dharma, the Natural Art of Work. It's a study from Bhagavad Gita and Bhagavad Purana, the sacred literatures of India, 
on how to work according to your nature and how to follow the dharma, the essence of work, such that your work and becomes a spiritualized activity, becomes a ceremony of connection with the divine at every moment. So we've been working on that now for three years. I, I thought it would be a one month job that we were going to do a 20 page booklet. And uh, it's, it's morphed into more than that, but it's, it's quite an exciting book. And we're in the editing phase of that. We're toward the end of that. I'm also working on a book with uh, devotee Kamala Sita, whose name is also Dr. Irene Brand. And that's a book on how to meditate on Krishna in the world, in the sunlight and the moonlight and water uh, and everything. And that's also in, that's in further along in production. We have all the artwork done for that. That's going to be produced by the Bhaktivedanta Book Trust of Africa. I'm working on a paper with the Shastrik Advisory Council to ISKCON's managerial board about the, having to do with the process of spiritual initiation and particularly focusing on a mantra that uh, some people may be familiar with called the Gayatri Mantra. So it's especially focused on the role of the Gayatri Mantra in spiritual initiation. Um, that's probably about three quarters done that we have about another six weeks to finish that and then I'm in the very beginning stages of a book on the uh, six seasonal forests of the spiritual world and Krishna's pastimes there I'm working with uh, a devotee named Anasuya so that's that's in the gathering information and and planning stages and I have a a couple of other novels that are also just beginning that I've, I've made the plans. I've written a couple chapters and then I'm teaching on a regular basis. So uh, that's, that's going on, you know, probably doing about five classes a week, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. Um, I'm also working with the Shastrik Advisory Council, putting together a training course on what's called hermeneutics, which means how do we understand scripture? How do we understand sacred writings? How do we take the words from saintly persons and sacred writings and understand how to apply them in our particular circumstances? How do we deal with statements that may be confusing or, or apparently paradoxical or like that? What's, what's a system for understanding? And I'm probably doing some more things that I can't think of at the yeah, that's <laughs> moment in time. Mahatma, your god brother said the same. I don't even know how many things I'm doing. Well, I do a lot of little things. Like I just um, worked with this devotee Narada and um, to put together a music video for Krishna's birthday. So we, we took a, some music from Karnamrita Devidasi. And so I was working with Karnamrita and I was working with Narada and we put together a video or like I'm working here locally to get a Bhakti Shastri program together. So I've been doing a lot of coordination with the teachers, put together, you know, I, I basically went through all of the materials that I've used in the last, oh gosh, how many years? Like 30, 35 years and organized the syllabus. And then I've been working with them to put together the tests and the schedule and so just you know helping them to get started it's a major it's a 10-month course on on the basic books and 
you know, today I was working with, with my daughter organizing a syllabus, which I've taught before, but I was helping her organize it on how do we understand modern science with the scriptures, especially areas that seem to have a conflict. I have a lot of little things like that that are going on. And I've constantly got a, a bunch of little things going on. And it, it's often hard for me to remember all those little things. I just want to acknowledge your work. It's so practical, you know, like the book is working on how to see Krishna in nature or everywhere. Mm. I, I really resonate with that. I think it's just so needed. Um, and the other work that you're doing, you know, with career, how to actually turn your, or make sure you're working in a, a field that is um, natural and, and and authentic and then offer that to Krishna that's also just really practical so it's like well thank you rather than um, just having spirituality be something you do while you're at your place of worship like the temple or while you're exactly. doing your meditation what about the time the six hours or eight hours that you're at work and what about while you're in transit you know exactly I think exactly. that's just so practical and needed. Well, and thank you. That's, that was a lot of what attracted me to the Krishna consciousness movement. Because I thought, okay, well, anybody can do, you know, a 15-minute meditation or a two-hour meditation or whatever every day or once a week or whatever. Well, how do, you, how do you be spiritual all the time? How do you be spiritual when you're getting dressed? How do you be spiritual when you're, you know, doing your shopping, groceries? What about that time? And what attracted me to bhakti yoga, among other things, but that particularly, mm. that it was, it was just holistic. But I find that even though it is holistic, that many of our own, you know, bhakti yoga practitioners don't necessarily, how would you say, um, they don't fully take advantage of the fact that it's holistic. That it's holistic. So even within our own very sincere and committed members, there's often a mood that spiritual practice means I have to go to a holy place in India. Right. And I can just sit down and study the scriptures and just chant and meditate all day. And everything else is kind of an unfortunate waste of time. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of... That mood is there even among a lot of our members who ought to know better, but knowing better theoretically doesn't seem to do anything. It, it, there's, it's a certain bias, a certain uh, kind of unquestioned, unconscious belief system about what spirituality means. And, you know, we... There, there's a lot of talk about how to bring Krishna consciousness to the people, to people in the world. You know, we're called the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. So people who are from India, which is, you know, the heart of the practice of Krishna consciousness, they often identify with what we're doing because it resonates with their childhood culture. And many people talk about, well, we have to either adapt Krishna consciousness to a variety of cultures or we have to strip it of its cultural elements in order to make it more universally accessible or maybe perhaps even universally 
feeling. And while there's, there's merit to that kind of thinking, certainly, my own take is quite different. My own take is if you want to take something that philosophically and, theor and theoretically you claim to have universal truth and universal applicability, then you've got to show people how it is universally applicable. How is it applicable to the, to the musician? How is it applicable to the construction worker? How is it applicable to the, the housewife, the house husband? What does it mean if you're, you know, a judge? What does it mean if, if you're a street sweeper? How, how does, how do you infuse your life? Hmm. Because going to some holy place in india and sitting down and singing all day or meditating all day is not something that's literally possible for most people and nor is it even theoretically attractive to most people right that's kind of what i was getting missing out because find fomo with regards to spiritual life is that conception that you're talking about and which Arjuna had too, right? Which is that yes. reality means exactly. go off to a forest and meditate yes. or sit in a cave. Yes. And the Bhagavad Gita is many things on many levels. Spiritual literature, authentic spiritual literature has many, many levels of reality and truth. But at least one level of the Bhagavad Gita is A. How do you spiritualize your career? How do you spiritualize your life in the world, but particularly career? Mm. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita is not so much how to spiritualize your family life. That, that's not so much the emphasis of the Bhagavad Gita, although Arjuna had a family. But the, the emphasis is how do you spiritualize your career? Which for the vast majority of able-bodied, healthy people, for the majority of the years of their life and the majority of the hours of the day of those years of their life is what they do. You know, so it's definitely more than half the years of your life. And it's at least a third to a half of the hours of more than half of one's life is spent in career. So how, how to spiritualize it? That is the Bhagavad Gita. That was that was Arjuna's question at the beginning, and that's the theme that runs throughout the Bhagavad Gita. It's interesting. At one point, Krishna just say, "Oh, okay, Arjuna. You know, if if you really want to give up everything and go away from society and meditate, here's how you do it." Mm. That's the sixth chapter, and then Arjuna says, uh, "I don't think that's going to work for me." <laughs> he says, "And what happens if I fail?" <laughs> right. I like that. I think, um, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, when read, is, you know, there's no inflection, there's no tone, there's no flavor, right? When you, Especially when you're reading it for the first time and you, you're not familiar with the context or the culture surrounding it. But when you, when you said that, you know, that it shows that you, you, you really get where Arjuna is coming from, you know, like... I think it's important to hang around devotees of Krishna if you want to understand the Bhagavad Gita because 
they can paraphrase what's going on in in these in this epic philosophical conversation yes that is what's going on arjuna is like i can't figure out how to be spiritual in my work i i've come into work today <laughs> i i've come into work today and i i can't i can't do this spiritually i'm going to quit right <laughs> I'm going to quit my job and uh, I'm just going to go meditate and you know have people give me donations for a living. Right. And I don't, you know, I don't see how my work has anything to do with higher intelligence and with with pleasing God and you know and he keeps pushing it. You know, and and Krishna says, "Well, with you know, it's like this and like this." And he keep and Arjuna keeps pushing he says, you know, why are you telling me to do my work? And then you tell me not to do anything abominable. And it's all, it's all just abominable material. And finally Krishna says, you know what? Okay, fine. Leave society, hmm. leave your family, you know, go live in the jungle, stare at the tip of your nose, chant Omkara, you know, fix your mind in one place and you'll attain enlightenment. And Arjuna says, uh, I don't think I can do that. My mind's not going to going to cooperate. Right. And Krishna says, "No, no, you can do it. Suitable practice and detachment. Yeah, <laughs> do it." And then Arjuna says, um, uh, "What happens to people who try this and it doesn't work out?" <laughs> kind of like your question at the beginning. You know, what's my opportunity cost here? He right. says, "Yeah." So I'm going to try this. You're 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 telling me, you know, suitable practice and detachment would be open. And uh, I just don't think it's going to work for me, Krishna. And and then I will have left my family. I will have left my job. And Arjuna's been saying all this time, I want to leave my job. He's saying I will have left my job. I will have left my family. I will have given up everything. And and uh, of course he asks it as if he's asking about somebody else. Right. right? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Yeah. those other people who who try to do this and fail and then they they will have nothing they will have nothing material and they will have nothing spiritual and um Krishna says no no don't worry they'll they'll be able to to try again in their next life <laughs> which I don't know how encouraging that was <laughs> well, don't worry if you fail you can you can succeed next time around and uh and then he's and then Krishna ends with saying, you know, but if you really if you really want to do this, then there's another way. There's there's a way of bhakti yoga, there's a way of, of fixing your mind on me, and he goes, Maya Shatamakata. And then he goes back to his original theme. And after that, Arjuna no longer talks about quitting his job and, and just you know sitting to cultivate spiritual life. I, I think it's a very useful technique, you know, if somebody really insists on something and you can't talk them out of it, then you finally agree with them and you say, sure, go ahead. This is what it's going to be like. And then we go, oh, oops. <laughs> but it's the whole Bhagavad Gita is like that. It's how, how to see, how to see Krishna, how to see the divine in everything. There's a lot of verses about how to find the divine in the world and how to engage in a deep meditative connectedness with the Supreme in every action at every, at every time. At every, at every point in, 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 for full absorption so that one then lives life with a thrill at every moment 
Mm. And one no longer needs to come back and reincarnate to try this. Thank you so much for your um, your insight-laden uh, delineation <laughs> of of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, it'd be awesome to. I like that. I like that. It sounds like a delicious food preparation. What did I just said. Insight-laden. <laughs> You're yeah. an insight-laden delineation. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Well, actually, I was thinking while you're while you're delivering or serving that delicious preparation, I was thinking, you know, it'd be really cool. Or how am I gonna how am I gonna um, end uh, this interview that I was supposed to end twenty minutes ago? Well, I was I, that did cross my mind too. But actually, <laughs> what I really wanted to what I say was um you should write a Bhagavad Gita for teenagers because well it's interesting that you say that because if you go onto Amazon you can get Bhagavad Gita and illustrated introduction by you well I put it together awesome okay oh, that's great uh, I would really recommend though uh, Ridan Nandamaraj uh, I think he's written it under um H.D. Goswami has written a thematic study guide to the Bhagavad Gita and I would really highly I mean I've seen many excellent study guides done by a lot of our members but I would, I would recommend his is best it's just excellent but yes I've also put together I got together a team it wasn't just my work but I was the one who organized it and we did put together that book it's it's written for ages 5 to 95 okay Okay. I mean, we do not sell it to anyone who's 96 or above. Uh, they just won't ship it to you on Amazon, but it is on Amazon. Uh, you can get it as a printed book. And if you don't want a printed book, it's a free PDF on my website. Incredible. I'll have to have a look at that. Well, um, thank you so much for your time, Irmala Prabhu. And um, yeah, I wish you all success with your... Actually, I should tell you a, a better... Uh, a, better but a, a book I wrote for adults and also for teenagers is Essence Seekers, which is a novel of the spiritual journey. So from materialistic life to full spiritual perfection, mm. using the metaphors from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamrita and Manashiksha. So that's, um, that's something, I mean, it was written for adults, but it'd be suitable for ages 14 and up. So that would be something that young people could really access Krishna consciousness with. And two of our lovely ladies here, Mahalakshmi and Chachuri Kasaki, have translated it into Spanish. Mm. Uh, so it is available right now just from India in Spanish. Awesome. Awesome. I'll put the links to those if I can Excellent. find them. Well, I'll, if I can't find them, I'll have you send them to me and I'll put it in the description. Yeah, they're also on my website, ramiladevidasi.org, under publication, so you should be able to find all the links. Perfect. Okay, well, thank, thank you, you so very much. much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. If you enjoyed this episode of Soul on Fire and you'd like to support us, 
feel free to go over to soulonfire.substack.com. Find one of the t-shirts that I have for sale there with my art on it and buy it and wear it. If you'd like to know more about bhakti yoga or anything in these podcasts, feel free to write to me via Instagram direct message. My handle is at muchu108, M-U-C-H-U-108, and we can talk about anything there, including your spiritual aspirations, and I can point you in the direction of some good books to read and people to meet in your area, if I know anyone. Okay, for now, Hare Krishna. Peace.